0: been talking about living the extraordinarily blessed life. The text we're using is Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I'm not going to take the time to read it. This is a passage that is extraordinary. When you read it, remember it was David that wrote it. And remember who David was. David was the king of Israel, but not always. In fact, many scholars believe that David was the illegitimate son of Jesse, Many Hebrew scholars believe that. I could show you the reasons why in Scripture, but I'm not going to take the time to do that right now. But David talks about moving from where he came from to a state of blessedness that one day was so great, he literally sat down and asked, God, why have you blessed me and my my house the way you have? He had wanted to build God a house. And he said, who am I, Lord? When God said, no, David, you're not going to build me a house. Rather, I'm going to build you one. David was moved to tears. We go on and read in Psalms 92, verses 13 through 15. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. David flourished. His brothers, not so much. Kind of describes the Christian community. There are some people that live the extraordinarily blessed life and others spend their lives trying to get a blessing. What's the difference in the two? What makes it that way? Flourish comes from the old French word that means to blossom like a flower, to explode, to boom, not bloom, boom. It means to fly high, to expand, to thrive, to prosper. I've been in a series about the fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is actually God's nature and character that is being, that is being formed within us. The fruit of the Spirit is formed in us, or God's nature is formed in us in two ways. 1 John 3, 2, when we see him, we become like him, for we see him as he is. The believer sees God in two ways. We see him when we worship. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. When you enter his presence and you encounter God, the second way you see him is when you see him in his word and you hear ministry, preaching. You study the word, which is why that as a believer, whether or not you ever live the extraordinarily life or just go through life seeking a blessing, largely depends upon those two things. How's your worship life? And what's your commitment to being in the house of God to hear the word of God? How highly do you value it? We've talked about why God wants to form his character in us, which is what the nine fruit of the spirit actually are. He wants to bless us. You see, God gets something out of this. When His church is blessed extraordinarily, guess what? Everybody sees it, and the best advertisement in the world for God and His kingdom are believers that are living the extraordinarily blessed life. So we've talked about these things. And, and I, I, I want to I go on and, and move to the next one. We've already talked about love, we've talked about joy. And today I want to talk about peace. And I'd like to speak today from the subject flourishing because I have peace. I'm flourishing. I'm exploding. I'm expanding. I'm moving to that right there. I'm moving away from this business of chasing blessings to the place as Trey Brown, my son of the gospel, likes to say, blessings are chasing me down. Amen. How do you get there? Father, in the name of Jesus, open your word. And help us to hear what you have to say. I ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. We're also really glad for our guests that are here. As I get into the word of the Lord. Especially honored for pastors that are here. Mike and Judith's dear friend from California. Pastors there. Pastor Paul, am I saying the name right? Is here with us. There he is. I've spotted him. Visited with him. Such a great God. Bless you and your work, sir and any others who may be here. Well, today, let's look at this, because as turn to somebody and say, you're going to have to listen fast. Would you do that? And don't worry, if you're on our email list, you get all the notes. It's, they'll be on the podcast also. So if you, don't, if you can't write this fast, that's okay. You'll still get them. What makes Christianity attractive is the character of God in us. For example, love and joy. It was Mother Teresa who said, joy is a net of love by which you can catch souls. Worst advertisement in the world are these Christians who walk around looking like they've been baptized in pickle juice. That's not much of an advertisement for the kingdom of God. Our hate known folk. And this is why the character of God has to be formed within us. Galatians 5, through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says this about peace in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Has God done anything for anybody here? And then Paul gives a statement that is a guarantee. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your hearts or your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about peace and how you experience it. First, notice it's the peace of God. His peace, not yours, not mine. His. Stop trying to have your peace. Start seeking his. The big question that then is asked: If it's God's peace, does God ever get stressed? Stop and think about it. Does God ever worry? Does he ever have emotional challenges or experience panic panic attacks? Does he ever say, Gabriel, I'm about to pull my hair out over this situation? Does God ever worry about paying bills or taking care of his children? Does God ever worry where he's going to get resources to provide for his kids or family? Does he ever stress over job, career, what's going on in the world? An emphatic no. God grieves over what mankind does to continually hurt ourselves, but God is absolutely at peace even while in his world you and I may have made decisions that have brought problems to the earth God made. He gives us free will or the right to make our own choices and decisions, and these can often and sometimes are, many times are self-destructive. So there's war People kill, steal, betray each other, cheat on one another. Harm children happens constantly. You say, doesn't God care? Sure he does. But he didn't make those choices. But he doesn't panic even when we have. Here's the key point. If you're going to have peace, you've got to be like God. And even when everything in your world is not going right, you can't stress out. Don't panic. Amen. Amen. Notice that this promise of peace that God makes comes to the person who prays. And that's important. I'll get to it in a moment. And do you realize how much stress there is in this world? My God, there's stress everywhere. One of the most recent studies reveals that the use of antidepressant medication does not vary according to your socioeconomic status and your earning potential. It is the same regardless of where you are at in the rat race or the hierarchy of socioeconomic uh, uh, income. The Bible tells us that you will have peace that passes all understanding. That's the source, but what we believe is that if we can make enough money, we'll have peace. The statistics clearly state that isn't the case. Rich people are as stressed out as some of the rest of us are and on medication. Amen. And so God isn't having a meltdown, and you shouldn't either as a child of God. Everyone around you is. And one of the great principles of the fruit of the Spirit is that fruit contains a seed for the propagation of a species. That is the fruit of the Spirit is why the church grows. When they see peace in you, when everything in your world is not perfect, that rattles them because their world's falling apart and they can't handle it. So what is peace? Peace is the state of being tranquil or experiencing tranquility. Guess what word shares the same root word as tranquil or tranquility? Tranquilizer. The peace of God is a tranquilizer. Tranquilizer. That makes you have peace regardless of the storms that are going on around you. The greatest agent of tranquility in the world is not Prozac or Zoloft, it's the peace of God, and it passes understanding. What does it mean passes understanding? It means when people look at you and you even look at your own circumstance and you have absolute peace, they can't figure out why or how, and you can't either, and you can't explain it. That is the peace that passes understanding. There are over 7,000 promises in the Bible, but with every promise, there's also a premise. A premise is a condition that must be met. If you do this, God said, I will do that. And in this guarantee that Paul makes in Philippians that you can have God's peace, God makes it clear there is a premise involved, as is the case with every single one of God's promises. The mistake many believers make is when they read a promise, they claim it, and think they can just go on and be the same and it's going to be fulfilled. No, there are conditional qualifications that you've got to meet if you Give, I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot receive. Can I hear somebody say amen? If you do these things, you'll be blessed coming in and going out. Always those conditions there. In fact, there are four steps to receiving a promise. There's the promise. That's God's word to you. Second, there's the premise. That's the condition you must meet. Third, there is the problem. That is the inevitable challenge that's going to come along to test your commitment. And fourth, there is the provision that always follows if you remain committed during the problem. Amen. How do you experience in the peace of God? It's a promise, but you've got to meet the premise. And once you meet the premise, know there's going to be a problem. But if you hang on, the provision is coming. There are five things we're told here in Philippians that we must do to experience the peace of God. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Thank God in everything. Think on only good things. And number five, be content in all things. Do this, you'll have the peace of God. So let's look at number one. Refuse to worry about anything. Say it, I refuse to worry Let me leave that for a moment and give you five reasons you should never worry. First, Jesus said, worry is irrational. Matthew 6, 25, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or what you drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. It's irrational. What worry always does is this. It always exaggerates and makes the problem bigger. And secondly, worry doesn't change a thing. Second reason you should never worry. Jesus said worry is unnatural. Matthew 6, 28, or 26 rather, 28, 29. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And he goes on. Man is the only creature in nature who worries. The only one. No other creature does. Animals don't. Birds don't. Fish don't. Fauna, fauna doesn't. Yet God takes care of them, is their creator. But you and I, He is set apart because He loves us more than all of the rest. And guess what? We worry. We weren't born worrying. When a baby is born, it's not born to worry. Not born worrying when the daddy leaks over and, oh, Gucci, Gucci, you look so much like your daddy. The little guy doesn't reach up and grab his daddy by the collar and say, look, Mac, have you got my milk coming this week? Did you get the Pampers? Amen. You pay the light bill. I like it living in this house. No. We learn to worry. And some of us have gotten so good at it that if it was an Olympic sport, we would be gold medalists. Amen. It's true. Since you've learned it you can also unlearn it. The third reason that worry is uh, that we should never worry is that worry is actually unhealthy. The word worry literally comes from an old English word that means to strangle. You can't breathe. Worry will choke the anointing out of you. Worry will choke the life out of your marriage. It will choke the love out of your home. It will, it will choke you on your job where you can't advance and, and get a promotion. It will choke your business. Worry chokes you. Fourthly, Jesus said, worry is not helpful. Matthew 6, 27, 28. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Next verse. So why do you worry? Go ahead. Let's see you get taller. Go ahead, worry real hard. I hate to be the one to tell you, but you're still the same height. If anything, you get older, you shrink. Amen. Holocaust and concentration camp survivor Corey Tin Boom said, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. Fifth reason that you should not worry is worry is unnecessary. Matthew 6:30 If God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven will he not so much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? God is interested in every part of our lives. Matthew 10:30 the very hairs of our head are numbered. And yet we worry. Birds don't. Animals don't. Cats don't. Fish don't. Dogs don't. Elephants don't. Whales don't. Dolphins. Nothing worries except me and you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're more than the birds. Would you do that? (laughs) Amen. So Jesus said, refuse to worry. And I gave you five reasons why worry doesn't work. Second, not only don't worry about anything, but also talk to God about everything. It's not worth, if it's not worth asking God about it, it certainly isn't worth worrying over it. When you were a child and you asked your dad for something, did you ever worry about where he was going to get the money? Anybody? No. You just went to daddy and said, Daddy, this is what I need. Your job to figure out, dad, how to get it done. I'm the asker. You're the provider. That's who the Lord is. He's the provider. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. Amen. Amen. He has to come up with a way to get it. James 4 and 2, you do not have because you do not ask. It's what Tony said a while ago. Many people, even like with this building campaign, oh my God, how are we going to pay? And they're paralyzed in immobility, stressed out. They can't even pay a pledge because I don't have the money right now. You never will get it until you ask, until you begin to act on your commitment. Amen. It doesn't say in James that you have not because you don't worry enough. Go back. Look at it. I'm serious. It doesn't say that. It said you have not because you ask not. not. The solution to stress, worry less and pray more. And sometimes we think that our problems are so little. Why bother God with it? But listen to Romans 8.32. Since he, God, did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? I've got a word for somebody Hear what I'm saying. Everything else is what God is wanting to give you. I'm talking to somebody that God's getting ready to open doors to everything else. Don't be afraid to take it to God in prayer. The old song says, oh, what uh, peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Number three, thank God in everything. This is the third premise. You don't have to thank him for cancer or war or famine or disease or death, but thank him in everything. You see, what you need to know is that in no one's life is 100% of everything good. And in no one's life is 100% of everything bad. We've all got a combination going on. And the trick is, which one are you focusing on? God chooses to look at what's good. And God is full of joy. God never worries. You want to know how to bring his peace into your life? Be like God and look at the stuff that's not quite what what it should be and thank him for the things that are. Amen. You know, it's, it's impossible to be thankful and unhappy at the same time. And you know what they're learning? Medically, they're learning that gratitude actually, thankfulness, the spirit of thankfulness actually boosts your immune system. To people that are complainers, that it lowers and weakens their immune system. People that have learned by nature to be full of happiness and gratitude, heal faster, get sick less often. Amen. You need to understand. Four. The fourth premise, think on only good things. I wish that I could help you see this. If you want peace, you've got to learn to control what you allow through the doors of your mind. People entertain this negative stuff. We have friends that talk to us and say negative things. You need to learn to dial that stuff out and tell your friends, I don't need it if they keep on finding some new friends. You heard what I said. You can't choose your your relatives, but you can choose your friends. And some relatives you can choose to cut out of your life if they're too negative. Where do we get it that just because I'm related to you, you can come dump all over me? Uh Uh-uh. I've got to guard my mind, baby. Philippians 4, 8. Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true. Honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Paul lists eight things that qualify or you can use as a test to determine if your thoughts are worth thinking. Are they true, are they honorable, or are they right? Are they pure, are they lovely, are they admirable, or are they excellent, or are they worthy of praise? Think on these things. You can't avoid the, the luxury of negative thoughts. And my God, God. When I was a kid growing up, they used to call the television that one-eyed devil. You know, I mean, literally they called it that. And I used to think, well, why are you preaching against technology? I'm older and smarter now. You know what I found out? That thing really is a one-eyed devil, ain't it? (laughs) Well, at least what comes through it is. You know, we let stuff in our home. We would never let walk in the front door of our house. Look at who they're glorifying these days in, in TV programs: Breaking Bad, drug dealers, serial killers, molesters, perverts—all kind of stuff going on on the screen. And you know what we do? We're entertained by it. No, keep that stuff away. Listen to what Proverbs fourteen nine said: "Fools laugh at sin." Oh. Holy hush descended on the house of God. Mm. We're entertained by things and never realize what it's doing to corrupt our thinking processes. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed on you because he trusts in you. Where's that verse? Do we have it? Maybe we don't. Corey Tim Boom once said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Which one are you looking at? Listen, when he said this, that we should set our thoughts on things that are pure, he meant it. Set our thoughts and stay them on Christ. And the fifth thing that you must do that is a premise to peace is to be content in all things. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, and many people in churches do. I've got to just accept whatever my lot is in life, and, and I can't have any ambition, and I can't have any desire to excel, and, and, and whatever competitiveness inside of me that exists, you know, like in seeking a promotion on the job, I've got to squash, squash that and kill it. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Contentment doesn't mean that you don't have goals, that you don't have ambitions or dreams. Remember, it was Paul who wrote this, and he wrote over half the New Testament, was responsible for carrying the gospel to the entire Roman Empire, preached to governors, kings, and even Caesar. And yet it was Paul who turned around and wrote that he had learned to be content. In the middle of every situation, contentment is not apathy, it's not unconcern, it's not a lack of drive or a lack of motivation or ambition. The original Greek word for contentment literally means self-satisfaction. What it means is you can still try and pursue the extraordinarily blessed life, you can still desire to build your dream, but the thing you got to do is not wait till you get there before you're happy. You've got to enjoy the journey. You've got to be content while you're going there. Amen. Paul said, Philippians 4, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. whether it is with a full stomach or empty or with plenty or with little. No matter your circumstance, never let your circumstance determine your contentment level. So how do you live a life of contentment? Three things and I'm done. Number one, stop comparing. You know what our problem is? We're happy until we look over the fence and see. Somebody said, stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. Pull them down to your level. It's faster and you don't worry as much. Amen. We're struggling to keep up with the Joneses. We compare jobs, we compare spouses, we compare cars, we compare clothes. Stop comparing. It's a source of so much discontentment. Number two, stop thinking that having more is better. It isn't. You are not the sum of your bank account. Well, I'm preaching better than you're responding. That's okay. Just stop. Preach, Pastor Hurd. Thank you. I believe I will. Amen. Stop comparing and stop Thinking that more is better. We have been manipulated by the media into believing that we have to have more things so we can have a better life. That we will be better. We'll be happier. We'll have more self-esteem. They're all lies. They just want to get your money. That's all they want. Your self-worth, is not, your self-worth isn't based on your net worth. And having a lot of stuff can be a blessing if you use it right. Or it can be a curse if that's what you're depending on. Amen. So stop comparing. Stop thinking you need more to be better. And number three, learn to admire without having to acquire. Learn to admire without having to acquire. You see somebody with a Gucci, bless the Gucci. Amen. Doesn't mean you got to go get one. If you can afford it, great. But the problem is we look over and see what they've got, and we want it too, and we spend ourselves into debt where we're miserable, our marriages are failing, our kids can't stand being at home because they're so full of stress. And much of it is directly related to our spending habits. And so they come out with a new car every year. And the one you got last year, you love it till the new one comes out. Then all of a sudden, ugh, Especially when Joe across the street gets the new one. And we get in this rat race. Hello, somebody. Uh, And no disrespect, I see people buy stuff they don't need and can't afford to impress people who will never like them anyway. Amen. You know it's the truth. They'll just get jealous and mad. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I, I see it all the time. Young folk, it ought to be investing in a, in a house or a property or a business or go out and spend everything on a car. And they can't afford it if they finance it six months, uh, uh, for 36 months. They finance it for seven years. It's going to be falling apart seven years from now. But you know what? They don't care. They just want your money. I've seen people that ought to drive their house and live in their car. Because the car is better than the house and it's depreciating the whole time. Let me help you. Peace like a river. God wants you to have it in your life. Oh, somebody say amen.